You are Locked On SEC, your daily podcast on the Southeastern Conference. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's happening, everybody? Welcome into the Locked On SEC Podcast. Great to have you guys along. Chris Gordy here with you. Here's what we got going on the show today. Off the top, I will give you my top 10 games this year that will decide the SEC in order. Next week, we're going to get into previewing the week one matchups, but today I'm going to give you all the games that are going to matter when it comes to the final standings at the end of the year. In the second segment today, we will go around the SEC with Mr. College Football, Tony Barnhart. Nobody does it better. This guy's been doing it for a very long time, and we always uh, appreciate Tony's perspective on things. He's working with SI now, and uh, we'll get his thoughts on uh, the SEC this year, college football in general, and a few other topics. So look, really look forward to our conversation with Tony Barnhart. And then lastly today, I'm just going to go over some of the new rules in college football and the SEC this year that you guys need to be aware of that some of the, some of them you may not even realize have changed. So we'll get into all of that. As I mentioned, I'm Chris Gordy. Be sure you subscribe and follow the Locked on SEC podcast. You can get it for free wherever you get your podcasts. We've had uh, great results the first couple days of the show. I appreciate all you guys for tuning in, listening, subscribing. So, uh, man, I'm really fired up to get this thing going as we are two weeks out from the SEC season starting. So uh, just make sure you subscribe and you'll get the latest episode of Locked on SEC as soon as it comes out each day. But let's jump right into it because as I was starting to look at the schedule the last couple of days and you're just kind of looking at each game, look, there's some games that are going to be big no matter what, right? I mean, like LSU Alabama is always big. First off, Bama owned LSU for that long stretch. Finally, LSU broke through last year. But, you know, the Iron Bowl is going to be big no matter what, even if Auburn's got four losses at the end of the year. So there's some games that go without question. But uh, just looking at in the order of how I think the teams are going to finish this year, who's good, who's not, who's a contender, who's not, I went through like the 10 most important games in the SEC this year. So we'll start with number 10. I've got week three, Florida at Texas A&M. It's... The best of the newly added SEC games on the 2020 schedule. Uh, Florida was the first opponent for Texas A&M when they joined in the SEC back in 2012. And, you know, that was the Johnny Manziel game. But much of the offseason focus and the talk has been on the Aggies and the play of their quarterback, Kellen Mond. And look, it's either it's put up or shut up time for Kellen Mond. He's a senior. We know Jimbo has worked miracles with quarterbacks in the past, at least you know at Florida State when you talk about uh, Jameis Winston, but you know EJ Manuel, Christian Ponder, these are all guys that he got drafted very high uh, based off of what they did in college. So it, Kellen Mond has to put up or shut up, and this is one of those games that Texas A&M has. You know th- this would go a long way to putting them competing in the West with an early season win over Florida. For Florida, this is just a pitfall for you. I mean, this is a game that you didn't want to have. We talked about it with Ben Troop on the podcast yesterday, but man, you remove, I say four cupcakes. Florida State, right now, I think is beatable for Florida. So I, Florida was going to go 4-0 against their non-conference games this year. You take those off and you add Texas A&M, it's just it's a pitfall, man. It's one that if you don't come ready to play, you could lose. The good news for you is it's still a little bit early in the season on October 10th. 
maybe they expand seating capacities for these stadiums as the year goes along and the you know coronavirus go, starts to go away and things get safer, whatever, but you're still looking at only 25% capacity. Not enough to make Kyle Field a difference maker, but regardless, it's a game Florida needs to be worried about. Number nine, I've got week five, Alabama at Tennessee. Look, I know it's people are so used to third Saturday in October and all that, but yet again, a game that has not mattered in the context, large context of things for the past, oh, going on a decade. I mean, it's been, you know, not not since Lane was uh, at Tennessee was this game over competitive. So I, I think Tennessee's getting closer. They, they fought hard against in Tuscaloosa against Alabama last year. This one could be their chance at Tennessee. Look, again, if if stadiums are full, I think it's absolutely you can maybe put, I don't know if you put Alabama on upset alert, but it's one that Tennessee would maybe have a chance in if everything goes right. But with limited stadium capacity, I don't know. Maybe you get Alabama napping. That one would be a huge loss for Alabama early in the year if, if they tripped up and fell against Tennessee. I don't foresee that happening, but I think they're getting closer. We'll see. Uh, my number eight game on the list, week nine, Tennessee at Auburn. Tennessee did not catch a break when it added Texas A&M and Auburn to their new slate of games. However, the Vols catching the Tigers at a good time with the Iron Bowl the following Saturday. Crowded race atop the SEC West. Auburn, they just can't afford to lose this one here. Again, it's this one is more like the Florida A&M game. It's a pitfall for Auburn if you lose this one. It'd be a big feather in the cap for Tennessee. So we'll see. Georgia at Alabama I have as my seventh most important game. This one would have been, look, if Jamie Newman were playing, this one would be a lot higher. In the grand scheme of things, though, a lot of these West versus East games, you can afford to lose, right? Like you want to, if you're in the West, you want to beat your West all your West teams, and you can afford a loss to an East team. Alabama, if they run the table in the West, but they trip up against Georgia, it's not the end of the world for them. Same thing on the flip side for Georgia. But if you're Georgia, you know you've got brutal games all year long against Florida, you know all your Eastern opponents, and then you got to play Bama in the crossover. It's going to be tough. That's why I've got this one a little bit lower, though. If, if Jamie Newman's playing, this game is a lot higher. My next game, Auburn at Georgia. A big one. Week two. It's going to be October 3rd. It's the Deep South's oldest rivalry. It was slated to move out of its traditional spot before they moved the whole slate around, but the updated schedule moved it up a week to October 3rd. Uh, Georgia has won six out of the last seven in this series with Auburn. Again, this is one for Auburn. If they're going to compete for the West at all, it's one that they, they just have to win against Georgia because the, the losses are all going to mount up for Auburn. I just have... Call me crazy. I just have that feeling, Matt, that if Auburn stubs there too early, loses one in the first couple weeks, I could see the, the losses start to pile on. Another loss, another loss, another loss. And again, the, the no one's saying the schedules are easy. They're brutal. They're brutally tough. Anyway, moving on. Number five, uh, most important games in the SEC this year, Florida at Tennessee, week 11 on December 5th. Florida at Tennessee, intriguing but if Florida heads into the last week of the season, sitting atop the East, they got a road trip to Rocky Top to win the division, it's not going to be easy. So this one speaks to more where is Tennessee at come week 11? You know, are they sitting there with a couple losses and, you know, Jerry Pruitt scratching his head and Garantano's not playing great? But if Tennessee has been competitive, I, you know, I think this is one where we're talking December 5th here. We could have more fans in the stands now in Tennessee. That's one that's absolutely necessary for 
Kyle Trask and, and Dan Mullen in Florida to, to get if they are going to win the East. My number four game, LSU at Auburn. It's going to be on Halloween this year. Each of the last four meetings in this series have been decided by five points or less. And with this one playing on Halloween, you never know. Things could get crazy. Uh, for Coach O to repeat as SEC West champs, they've got to beat Auburn. At times when they've gone to play at Auburn, it doesn't go well. They LSU has no problems with Auburn in Baton Rouge. They they've beaten them there. I can't. I don't know how many consecutive times. But LSU going to Auburn, it always gets tough. And Miles Brennan, this will be his first year as a starter. We'll see what the fan capacity looks like. But maybe that's something that helps Miles Brennan in a tough road environment with not much crowd noise. Maybe the situation's a little bit easier. But that'll be a really good one with Miles Brennan versus Bo Nix and see who can prevail in that one. My number three, I've got the Iron Bowl. It's always going to be one of the biggest rivalries in the SEC. But last year, man, <laughs> Alabama had no business losing that game last year. You could almost argue they gave it to Auburn with the, the Mac Jones with the interceptions. But again, I don't know if this one is going to decide the SEC West like it has in years past. Nonetheless, Auburn could be the thorn in Alabama's side. Let's say Bama's undefeated going into November 28th and Auburn beats them. I mean, that will... It could absolutely derail the season for them. Although, with how everything's going, you still feel like at least a one-loss SEC team is getting into the playoff, if not two. And and I know some people even talked about three SEC teams getting into the playoff. At this point, I think you can kind of guess my top two teams when we talk about – or my top two games when we talk about the ten most important games in the SEC this year, and and I'm ranking them. Number two, we go to week eight. It's Alabama at LSU, November 14th. Again, it's the capacity raised in Baton Rouge on November 14th. Because if we're still at 25% capacity, I think Bama wins. If LSU's more at 50, 60, dare I say even 70% capacity, I don't know if they'll get to that. But if it's loud and rocking, LSU team feeds off of that. I think that's absolutely one of the most important games of the year. And then number one, it's the game to decide the East. It's week seven. It's Florida and Georgia and Jacksonville, November 7th. People are so torn right now between Florida and Georgia, and I, I see a lot of people starting to lean the the Florida route because of Kyle Trask and Georgia having the questions at the quarterback spot. If it is indeed JT Daniels' job for, for Georgia this year, Georgia's got the pieces. Georgia's got a defense loaded with talent. Everybody jumping on the, the Florida bandwagon, and rightfully so. They've added more and more pieces, wide receiver Justin Shorter, eligible for this season. So that Florida wide receiver room just gets even more dangerous this year. Man, it's going to be uh that's going to be a heck of a game. So, November 7th will be when the SEC East will be won and still waiting on a couple more of the uh, other transfers out there. Uh Cade Mays at uh, Tennessee, haven't heard yet on him. Joey Gatewood at Kentucky, still waiting to hear on that. But uh no, it's a big one to get uh, shorter there for Florida, just another weapon for Dan Mullen to uh, utilize. So anyway, that those are my top 10 most important games in the SEC this year ranked. Coming up next, we are going to hear from Mr. College Football himself, Tony Barnhart. We'll get his thoughts on the landscape of the SEC this year on the Locked On SEC podcast. A quick minute here for our friends at Built Bar. We talk about them all the time. They are the best tasting protein bar ever. Hands down. I always talk about you go out for a run or you just got to work out in. You stop at the local little store that makes smoothies. It's too early for dinner or you're looking for a meal replacement. You've been eating too much junk food. Built Bar is the perfect way to go. They're even more delicious 
with six new flavors that they have added. I mentioned the cookies and cream. It's my favorite. They still got their 12 original flavors everywhere from coconut almond to raspberry, German chocolate, peanut butter, whatever your taste buds desire, they have got it with Built Bar. I mentioned some of these other ones you pick up at the, the local stores and they taste like chalk. You take one or two bites and you're like, oh, you're ready to spit it out because it just tastes like garbage. That is not the case with Built Bar. Built Bars are healthy. They are great for you if you're starting to be health conscious, trying to cut out the junk food, whatever, looking to lose or maintain weight, and just looking for a delicious treat. Built Bar is the way to go. Head on over to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you will get $10 off your next order. Use that promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off. BuiltBar.com. Go there today. Always excited to talk college football with one of the best. And you know it's getting closer when you get to have a conversation with Mr. College Football himself. Tony Barnhart, longtime writer covering the SEC, college football, now writing for SI.com. The media guys doing it better than anybody out there. Mr. Barnhart, how are you? All is well, thanks. Let, let's start with this, Tony. Was there a time in these last couple of months that you thought – we're not playing college football, period, because we always thought, okay, maybe there's going to be some conferences that opt out, but was there a time you thought we're, this is just not happening? No, I was very concerned. Um, you know, I was optimistic in April and May, and then we had some spikes, particularly in, in Atlanta where I live in June, and that's when I started getting worried uh, just because the numbers were going so high. But then in the last in August, the numbers started to come back down a bit, you know, the students came back to campus. But, yeah, I, I would say my my emotions have gone on a level. I think, I think they were up and they were down, and now now they're back up again. And you know, SEC is still a couple of weeks away, but I, I, I think everybody feels pretty good that we're going to get the season started. You're, uh, I mentioned you're now writing for SI.com, part of uh, the media guys. You have a piece up this week on Alabama Coming off, and I thought this is really funny, you know, coming off one of their most disastrous worst seasons ever under Nick Saban, where they went 11 and 2. Uh, you, yeah. can't, you can't help but notice, you know, a handful of guys skipped over the draft, decided to come back on top of, you know, no players opting out. Seems like this tie team is absolutely loaded despite any quarterback questions. Yeah, you know, th- we've certainly seen more talented teams than this one. Uh, but, but I just like the way it's put together with four out of the five offensive linemen coming back, Najee Harris. You can absolutely win with Mac Jones at quarterback. He showed that in the last few games of the season. They've got Bryce Young coming in from California, a very highly recruited kid. The defense is going to be better. And so it, it, it's one of those things. It, there's certainly been better Alabama teams in Nick Saban's stretch here, but I just kind of like the way this one's put together. Uh, over in the East, Georgia appeared to be reloading with uh, a quarterback at Jamie Newman. He opts out. They now turn to the former USC quarterback, JT Daniels. Uh, how surprised were you by by Newman's decision? Oh, very. I mean, he'd, he'd been on campus since uh, January uh, as a graduate transfer. And so, yes, I was very surprised to see him opt out at this late date. But nevertheless, he did and uh, turned to JT Daniels, who was a starter two years ago at USC five-star kid out of uh, Mater D High School in California and very, very talented. And I'm not as concerned about, for Georgia, I'm not as concerned about the quarterback because I am about finding some wide receivers he can throw to and rebuilding an offensive line. 
the the other team that's competing with them in in the East, uh, Florida, right up there. Kyle Trask back. They're uh, going to be a dangerous team as well. Who in your mind right now is the team to beat in the East? Is it Georgia or Florida? I'm I'm sticking with Georgia, even even because their defense is really really good. Uh, top scoring defense last year did not give up a touchdown to a running back an entire season. That that's that's incredible. So I'll still like Georgia, but I, I do. I've, I've always I believe in, in the in the Gators. I believe they're closing the gap on Georgia. Whether or not they'll do it this year, we're going to find out. But just for for now, I'm still keeping Georgia ahead of Florida. Talking with Mr. College Football, Tony Barnhart. In the SEC, Tony, they say it just means more. And there's no doubt about that this year with the conference going all SEC on SEC. Ten conference-only games. Is there any team you think could possibly go 0-10? I mean, I know I'm looking at Vandy and Arkansas right there. But, I mean, it, it's very likely a team could go winless this year. Vandy or Arkansas could go 0-10. I mean, Arkansas lost 19 straight conference games. 19 straight. And uh, Arkansas doesn't play Vanderbilt this year. So uh, I just, what are you going to do? Uh, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, because, because there are, you know, there's no directional schools and cupcakes to put in the schedule. Uh, teams like Vanderbilt, teams like Arkansas are really going to struggle because they're, they're playing, they don't get to play each other. Okay. <laughs> so somebody, some, they're playing somebody really, really good every week. I vote this, Tony. If they both go 0 and 10, I say we put them both in a bowl to let them duke it out. That would be fun. <laughs> that would be fun. What did you make of the two additional crossover opponents the SEC scheduled? You know, it seemed like it seemed like they kind of protected the big dogs, the top contenders, Alabama, LSU, Georgia, seemingly getting a little bit easier path with the teams that they added. Well, you look, but you look at all right. Let's take Georgia for example. Uh, Georgia was a situation where. You always look to see what are the teams that uh, a team is playing from the other division. Obviously, you play everybody in your division, but who are you playing from the other division? Well, in the case of Georgia, Georgia had Auburn and Alabama already. All right, so that that's you're not you're not going to put you know LSU and Texas A and M on Georgia's schedule as additional teams. You've got to balance it out. So I think, yeah, I mean, did, did, did the top teams come out pretty good? Yeah, because mostly because they're already playing a very tough schedule. Yeah, I'm an LSU graduate. When I saw Vandy and Mizzou pop up on the, on the schedule, I said, all right, well, looks like they'll luck out. Alabama, you mentioned, already playing Georgia, but they get Kentucky. They're no pushover. Who in your mind of the teams in the East are could be capable of competing with Florida and, and Georgia there? Well, I think you got to keep an eye on Kentucky. Kentucky is just a tough out. Okay, they're solid. Uh, they've got they've got their offensive line coming back. You know, Terry Wilson, if he can stay healthy, is a good is a good quarterback. He didn't stay healthy last year, so I think you got to keep an eye on Tennessee. If Tennessee can get consistent play at quarterback, Jared Garantano uh, makes great plays, and then he makes plays that just drive you crazy. But if he plays consistently, I think Tennessee. You know, this being the 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 third year in the Jeremy Pruitt, I think they've got a chance to compete. But I still think you do. Uh, you in the SEC, you've got tiers. Florida and Georgia are one tier by themselves. Second tier is Tennessee, Kentucky. You know, maybe South Carolina. You know, is on that on that tour tier, and then of course you got Missouri and Vanderbilt.
It's just going to be so weird, the game day atmosphere. As I know this week, LSU finally announced you know, they're going to do 25% capacity. Almost every stadium is saying between 20 and 25% capacity. But the big thing that stood out to me, Tony, they said no tailgating. Um, yep. What, what in your mind are these game days going to look like? I mean, no bands performing on the field. It's just going to be odd. Yeah, the tailgating thing, that, that, was, that was pretty obvious that they had to do that because – we we've seen games in this conference and other places where you know you have a hundred thousand people in the stadium, but another thirty thousand who just want to be part of the tailgate. So it doesn't do any good to set a limit on the number of people in the stadium and then allow to be there to be unlimited tailgating. That that would get totally out of control. You know, you talk about spring break at the beach. That's what it would look like. <laughs> and so so that's 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 what they had to do. And and. 20 to 25 percent is you know with with distancing it'll be interesting to see how it all pans out but that's that's been pretty much the number everybody's quoted us yeah i wonder if 200 rvs roll into town and just park on the side of the road though is there anything they could do about that you know the only the only no the only the only control the schools have is on campus okay you can't tailgate you you can you can go down to the you know, you know the parking lot at Walmart, and, and tailgate all you want to. <laughs> well, those those parking lots will be hopping this fall. Uh, what what are you gonna? Just curious in your mind, what are you gonna miss most about uh, SEC game days this year? Well, it's just you know I started going to SEC games when I was a little boy, and I was like 13 years old. I went to my first Georgia game, and the first day I ever went, it's it's you know it's it's the sights, it's the sounds, the colors, the atmosphere, it's people tailgating, it's all those things. And uh, we don't, it's the ancillary stuff that you really love. The games will get, you know, hopefully we get to play all the games and the games are competitive and people enjoy the games. But it's all the ancillary stuff that really makes college football special. And, and that's that's what I'll miss. Last thing for you, Tony. I, I say, feel like I say this every year, but this feels like the best collection of coaches we've ever had in the SEC when you talk about adding Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin and just the new additions. Is anybody on the hot seat this year? I mean, I guess we're all looking at Will Muschamp at South Carolina, but it feels like with this season being what it is, we're thankful to just be playing. Is this a year that any school at the end of the season is going to turn back and say, well, we got to let this guy go? Well, you never say never, depending on how it happens. But my thought was that there will be a limited number of people, coaches on the hot seat for two reasons. Number one, just surviving this year is going to be an accomplishment, okay? It just just to get through it and hopefully get through it safely and get the games played and all that. That to me that's an accomplishment in and of itself. The other thing, nobody's got any money. Uh, nobody's got any money to pay a buy, not only to pay a buyout to get rid of the coaches and all their staff, but to bring in another coach and pay a new staff. You you're just until we get back to something normal, you're not going to have you know there was there was money flowing forever. And now that is that is shut down. So I, I teams really can't afford to be firing and hiring coaches at this point. He is Tony Barhart, Mister College Football. Follow him on Twitter at Mister CFB, and of course read his stuff at si.com. The media guys, Tony, thanks so much for the time. I really appreciate it. All right, I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks so much, Tony Barnhart there of. Uh, SI.com now, working with the media guys, doing a great job. And uh, I was just reading a couple of his articles up. He's covering you know, not just the SEC, all, all of college football, and had some uh, interesting articles up uh, this week about kind of previewing some of the games this week and bringing up the fact that 
a lot of eyes are going to be on the quarterbacks uh, for some of the games this weekend where you're talking about the the ACC starting to play against you know either in conference opponents or you know uh, some of the, some of them playing the uh, smaller dog out of conference opponents so we will uh, it'll be interesting to watch this weekend Rolling along here on the Locked On SEC Podcast. A reminder to subscribe to the Locked On SEC Podcast if you haven't done so yet. Well, what are you waiting for? Jump on it. Give us a review, too, if you could. Five-star reviews, always appreciated here on the Locked On SEC Podcast. Chris Gordy here with you. Some uh, little breaking news coming out this afternoon that I just saw that uh, Vanderbilt has finally announced... The fall athletic season will begin without spectators at home events from now through the end of October. So Vanderbilt was the lone team, and honestly, when we were running through the stadium capacities the other day, just kind of ignored Vanderbilt because, look, we can all make the joke, nobody goes to the games anyway. But in all actuality, at least last year and recent years, they've put more opposing fans in the stadium than any Vanderbilt fans. But Vanderbilt will now begin the season without fans at home games. They're the only SEC team to play without fans this year. And again, insert your joke about nobody goes to games anyway, or at least no Vanderbilt fans do. I got a good buddy, uh, Earl Bennett, former wide receiver at Vanderbilt, played in the NFL for many years. He is a diehard Vanderbilt fan. I mean, he roots for his school, but even he admits, man, what is going on there? Like, not only has the football team been bad, but... They've just lost all support, basically. I mean, you know, look at that that LSU game last year when they went to Vanderbilt. It, it looked like an LSU home game. It was purple and gold everywhere. And then you find out they let the LSU band perform, you know, before the, their pregame on the field. Like, what are you doing, Vanderbilt? So there you go. All the capacities are now set for the uh, start of the SEC season. Again, we were running through them the other day on the podcast and just kind of glanced over. Didn't, you know, that they had announced Vanderbilt, but you kind of assumed that they were going to be in the same category with everybody else between 20 and 25%, but they're playing it safe. And remember, Nashville was one of those, I don't want to say hot spots, but they, they had a lot of COVID cases early on. So maybe they're just doing the right thing, trying to play it safe. And so they'll have no fans. So that was kind of some of the breaking news coming out of uh, Vanderbilt. Some Tennessee news. Jeremy Pruitt. We discussed this yesterday, but now Jeremy Pruitt is asking the NCAA to do, quote, what's right for Cade Mays and all athletes requiring a waiver to play this season. I wonder if Cade Mays were a quarterback, would it be a a lot easier for him to get immediately eligible? Because it feels like any quarterback who wants to transfer up at any time, they allowed him immediate eligibility. Here's what Jeremy Pruitt said. He said, I've specifically not spoken to Greg Sankey about it. I obviously have spoken to William King, who's the SEC Associate Commissioner for Legal Affairs and Compliance. He said uh, he represents the football side. I know how this goes. There's all kinds of policies, right, and rules that have been voted on over the years. I understand at the time that some of these rules were voted on, why they were. Here's the but, though. With what's going on in our country right now over these last six months with a pandemic, it's probably not one family in America that has not suffered in the last six months. It is unusual times. Pruitt says, everybody on our team can come back and play another year. A senior could be a senior again. A freshman could be a freshman again. This is not just about Kate. I would say everybody that tried to transfer to me, it would be foolish for anybody that's capable of enabling this. It would be foolish of us not to do that just for what's right. So we will see what happens with 
Cade Mays, but everything we've read and seen and heard sounds like will not be eligible uh, to play this year for Tennessee after transferring in. Uh, let me get to this. I teased this earlier. A new college football rules that you guys need to be aware of for 2020. There are there's two fold to this. There are just some initial just rule changes overall that the NCAA is incorporating. And then there's rule changes due to the coronavirus. So let me run through some of these for you guys who may not be aware. First and foremost, targeting. One, it's the it's one of the worst penalties in, in college football. I understand it's for player safety and all that kind of stuff. But you know, I, I go back to the to the one a couple years ago when LSU was playing, I think it was Mississippi State and Devin White you know, hits the quarterback late and it was in the second half, uh, you know, just kind of made contact a little bit with the helmet, didn't really mean to, and he ends up getting suspended for the first half of the Alabama game the next game. A lot of people were, were up on arms over that and didn't like the rule, but here's what will change with the rule this year. The, the targeting rule itself is not going to change. However, now if a player gets ejected for targeting, he will not have to leave his team on the sideline and go back into the locker room. He will get to stay on the sidelines during the game isn't it always like an unceremoniously like see you later like and he's got a, and he's jawing and talking and then you know god forbid you're on the road and the uh the opposing fans are all just yelling at you and letting you have it and you got to kind of walk and go back to the locker room it's a little bit shameful at least now the guy gets to stay with his team for the rest of the game uh, another rule change jersey numbers in previous seasons there was no limits to how many players could wear the same number it is now being cut off at two I didn't know this. I thought it was always just, you know, somebody on offense could wear a number, somebody on defense could wear a number. I guess technically on special teams, like a kicker, a quarterback, and a DB could all have the same number. But now it's limited to just two. And the bigger news here, players can now wear zero. So look out for some players wearing the number zero now. Instant replay. The NCAA wants to limit replay reviews to two minutes. Makes sense. Let's speed this thing up. A lot of times they're sitting there staring at that thing, watching from eight different angles. Look, the angles aren't going to change. Make the call. They said, though, however, in complicated situations, it may extend the two-minute rule. So basically, we're going to try to keep this to two minutes, but when we think it needs to go longer than two minutes, we'll go longer. Uh, They said, also, if time expires, but the replay shows that time could be added back to the clock, there must be three seconds remaining to restore time on the clock. Call it the kick six rule is basically what this is. You're not, you know, time is going to expire and there must be three seconds remaining to, to restore time on the clock. Uh, pre-game warm-ups, I like this one. Officials will now have jurisdiction 90 minutes before kickoff. It was previously 60 minutes. This is an attempt to tone down pre-game jawing and trash talk and meeting each other on the field and, oh yeah, we're going to kick your butt. No, we're going to kick your butt. Uh, also players must have their uniforms on with jersey numbers visible during this time. So if you're going out there 90 minutes before kickoff and you're just walking the field, stretching around, and you got your warm-ups on, well, you better have the jersey over the warm-ups so the number is visible, okay? The refs need to know whose name and number is out there so we can make a, make a call if need be. All right, let's get to your rule changes due to COVID now. The team area on the sidelines, I know some of you probably know this already, but it's going to look really weird. I haven't noticed it yet with any of the, the games that have been already played, but social distancing will be enforced on the sidelines, and the team area used to go from the 25 to the 25. It's now from the 15 to the 15. That gives players 70 yards total in the team area to spread out and socially distance. Uh, coaches are still encouraged to stay out of the restricted area and remain in the coaching box. 
So that will still be a thing. Uh, the pregame coin toss for this year, only one captain from each team and the umpire will attend the pregame coin toss. So no you know, game at Auburn this year. There's no Bo Jackson coming out to do the, the coin toss or anything. Same thing with Georgia Herschel Walker. No, no honorary guests coming to do it. It's only one team captain and that's it. I, I did see this medical masks made of cloth can now be attached to face masks, but the mask must be the color of the team and can have and can have a team logo. Can you imagine like you're Mississippi State and you put one of the blue surgical masks over the hel- face mask, your helmet would look pretty silly. And lastly, officials whistle. Traditional whistles not allowed due to health concerns. Officials will now be required to use an electronic whistle. So there you go. Those are just some of the uh, new college football rules that uh, you guys need to be aware of as we get ready for the 2020 football season. I'm excited for some of the games this weekend. We'll get to see some Big 12 and ACC games, and we'll get to see how they look, shape up the competition before the SEC gets started. Now just two weeks away, guys. Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast this week. It's been a blast. I'm really looking forward to uh, spending the entire college football season with you guys here on the Locked On SEC podcast. I am Chris Gordy. Man, this has been a blast. Remember to subscribe. If you have not done so already, subscribe to the Locked On SEC podcast. Next week, I'm telling you, we've had some great guests this week. My thanks to Tony Barnhart. My thanks to Ben Troop, Chris Marler from Saturday Down South. Next week. Man, we're going to have some big-time names coming up next week. You do not want to miss it. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to start counting down. We're going to preview the SEC East and SEC West. And then we'll gear up for game week, man. We'll go into breaking down all those week one matchups the week after next. They are coming. You do not want to miss it. I am Chris Gordy. As I mentioned, follow me on Twitter at Chris Gordy. Follow the podcast on Twitter at LockedOnSEC. Guys, have a great weekend. Talk to you on Monday.